I've just been getting it wrong over and over again. So, uh, let me see. Just want to make sure I have this set up for the end. Have to have the songs in order so I know what's coming up next. This morning, sort of going to have two part purpose. One is as we seek out a man to fill this pastorate here again. We want to seek out a man that is like the one I'm talking about, although not one that would go to war like the one I'm talking about, but one who would be a man after God's own heart. Um, secondly, it's a challenge to you to become a person like this man whose eyes are focused on God. And we're going to talk about that before we do. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, you are an amazing God. We're so grateful for your love for us, a love that stays with us even when we fail, even when we sin, even when from our perspective we don't deserve your love. You love us. You care for us. You discipline us. You work in us that we might become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. As we think about those things, Lord, we realize that we are not worthy from the very beginning. We must humble ourselves and understand that, Lord, you loved us in spite of who we were. You loved us because you designed us and you chose us to become your children. Help us as we study your word to focus on it and have your spirit work in our hearts and lives that we might become more and more like your son. We're thankful for being part of your family. Help us to reach out to other people to bring more who would be a part of this family. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So my title for the message today was The Best Man for the Job. You realize that there was a man chosen, Saul, and I astonishingly did not know this fact, but um, as I studied, learned it, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he was king for 40 years. I didn't even realize that. As I was studying, I, it hit me. I didn't realize he was king for so long. Sometimes when you read this, you feel like he suddenly was got in trouble and was no longer king, and he hadn't been there very long. But he was there for quite a long time, and, and the struggle that went on between David and him was all a part of that. But that king was everything the people wanted. He was head above anyone else, kind of like when Josh walks around here, you know. He's taller than anyone else. You can see him anywhere he is. He was built like a man who was ready for war. He went out and, and worked as a servant for his father, often seeking out animals like he was the donkeys the day that he was chosen. And uh, so many things fit what they thought of as a king. And he would have been a great king. And in many ways was when he started out. And then he failed to follow God's commands. At one point, going and actually doing the service that a priest should have done. And in so doing, usurped that position and didn't wait for Samuel to show up like he was supposed to. Another time, he was told to go in and wipe out a whole 
city and all its inhabitants and all its creatures. And he didn't do that either. He brought the king back and the people brought back animals that they could use for their own good and for sacrificing. Uh, They thought they were doing the right thing, but both of them were wrong because they were commanded to do it otherwise. In following the Lord's commands, we come to a place where we have to think about what does God really want us to do? How does he want us to do that? You've, most of us have dealt with children, if not everybody here. We have children here at church, so you sometimes have to deal with them even if you don't want to. And the bottom line is, sometimes you tell children what you want them to do, and what do they do? Okay, you're not allowed to have that coffee until you go and pull the weeds in the garden. I did say cookie, didn't I? I didn't. Coffee. Sorry. Sometimes that happens to me now. I just used the wrong word. You can't eat cookies until you go and pull the weeds in the garden. And what do they do? Well, they go to the garden. They come back a reasonable time later and want cookies. And if you assume they've done their job, you're probably wrong. Not that some of them won't, but they probably didn't. And they hope that they fooled you. They would like to have those cookies still, though. And I think uh, even as we get older, teenagers, you know, you're supposed to come in by 10 o'clock. And what happens? Well, we don't quite make it. And then what do we use for excuses? Well, you know, we lost track of time. Well, the movie went 10 minutes long. Well, the traffic was heavy. Heavy at 11 o'clock at night? Yeah, it was heavy. You know, and so we use lots of excuses. We don't always fulfill the, the responsibility the way we were expected to. And you know, we can't stop with children, can we? Do us adults get it right every time? No, in fact, sometimes the problem, especially as you get older, Anita and I are finding out, sometimes we don't hear each other. So I think I got the message through to her. And when I come back and she hasn't done it, then I'm upset because she didn't do it. She doesn't even remember me giving the message. Of course, the same never happens the other way around. Never. But the point is, is that sometimes in God giving instruction, we don't always follow it. And there's a response from God for that. In Saul's case, he lost a kingdom. Saul seemed to be the best man, did some amazing things, but was not the best man for the job. So then we come to, I got to fill that spot. Samuel has to find somebody to fill that spot. The Lord tells him to go. He's worried about the king. And so he says, well, just take a sacrifice with you. Go to this place to to do a sacrifice and uh, invite Jesse and his sons to come. So he does. And that's where we're going to start at, uh, as long as I can find it. So uh, the end of Saul, Samuel, I'm going to read the the first 13 verses of, of chapter, 
I put 16 down. Yep, that's right, 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I've renounced him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a, a king among his sons. Samuel answered, But how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take with you a heifer and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will suggest to you what next to do. You will anoint for me whom I point out to you. Samuel did what the Lord had said. But when he came to Bethlehem, the town elders met him trembling from fear and asked, Does your coming mean peace? He answered, Peace? I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves so you may share this sacrifice with me. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. As they came in, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Pay no attention to his looks or to his splendid height, for I have passed him by. It is not what a man sees, for what for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Jesse called, then called Abinadab, and had him pass by Samuel, but he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse next had Shammah walk by him, but he said, This one too the Lord has not chosen. Eventually Jesse had seven of his sons walk before Samuel, but Samuel told Jesse, The Lord has not chosen them. When Samuel asked Jesse, Are these your sons? He replied, They are still the youngest. You see, he is tending the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get them, for we shall not sit down until he is here. So he sent and got them. He had a ruddy complexion, sparkling eyes, and a handsome appearance. The Lord said, Stand up and anoint him, for this is he. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him among his brethren. The Spirit of the Lord took hold of David from then on. Samuel then got up and went to Ramah. And we won't go on to the next verse yet. What I want you to get from there is Samuel now has to fill this position. And he's looking for a certain kind of man, but he doesn't know exactly what he's looking for. How would you like to have that job? I want you to go, and I want you to find the man of my choice. Here's the only directions I'm going to give you. you got to go to Bethlehem. And then he says, yeah, well, I'm worried for my life. And he says, well, here's how you do it. And he gives you instructions how to do it. But he's not telling you who it is. He says, I'll give you further instructions when you get there. Now, on one hand, I would love to have God tell me those things so that I didn't have to figure them out. But for Samuel, that meant that he had to go completely trusting the Lord that he would deliver the right person to him. And so then he goes through the sons. Notice the first son, Eliab, was tall. Apparently a lot like Saul. And he says, don't look on him, his height. He's not the one. He goes to seven brothers and says, nope, not any of those. Aren't there any more? Do you have any more? Well, yeah, I got one more. He's out tending the sheep. 
If you remember anything about those who tend the sheep, they're not always the highest looked upon people in, in the world. You know, if you tend sheep, you usually smell like sheep. And so you're not exactly thought of high up in the standards. You're kind of the low in the totem pole. And keep in mind, in the family he was, he's the last son. So he got all those kind of jobs that none of the others wanted to do. And that meant he tended the sheep. So they bring in, they said, well, hey, we're not going to do anything until you get him here. We're not even going to sit down. I should have made you all stand for the beginning of this message. I blew that. But anyway... Then, then he says, when he gets here, we'll let him sit down. We'll all sit down then. And when he comes in, he has this appearance. Now I don't know how you describe. How do you describe Ruddy? Windworn. Huh? Windworn. windworn? Why, why does it seem like windworn? What was that called? He makes him red in the face. Weather-worn, probably, because it's likely that that's one thing that was there was he was red. He was red from being out tending sheep and being out in the weather and, and so on. It could also pertain to his hair color and other things. Maybe he was a redhead. Uh, we don't know that because it's never spoken anywhere. But notice the rest of the description. Um, I'd love to have this description set of me. I mean, he was... Uh, I can't find it now. In just a second, I go. Oh, here he is. He had a ruddy complexion, sparkling eyes, and a handsome appearance. Mm-hmm. Now I want to know how many girls here, when they got their their husband, was sparkling eyes, a ruddy face, and a handsome appearance. How about two out of three? Oh, Andrea's waving her hand around for two out of three. She's not real strong about it, but she's thinking maybe two out of three she got. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many of us would have gotten that description. Maybe we would have gotten the last one. He's handsome. Because you would think he was. I would hope you would think he was anyway. Otherwise, you were marrying somebody ugly, and I don't know why. But, uh, but when you think about it, here he is, the things that come up that he notices right away is that he's a man who has this complexion from working outside. He's probably a little rougher. Um, He's probably of average height. David didn't seem to have a height advantage in any way. Uh, But he was handsome, sparkling eyes. Samuel noticed those things. And God's response to that man was, this is the one. Stand up and anoint him, for this is he. So Samuel didn't even hesitate, took the horn of oil and anointed him among his brothers. The Spirit of the Lord took hold of David from then on. Samuel then got up and went to Ramah. So from that day on, David had the Spirit of God in him and with him. Now, you know in the Old Testament, God planted the Spirit of God and knows that he planned to do great works in And Saul had the Spirit of God in him. But what happens is in the very next verse, it says, But the Lord's Spirit departed from Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord terrified him. So Saul goes from support of the Spirit to having an evil spirit who who terrified him, who pursued him, caused trouble for him. And of course, we know a lot of that trouble comes later as David gets pursued by Saul to kill him. 
And even though at the beginning, David is thought of highly. Um, God's choosing here is on this one verse, though. He said, I'm looking for a man, not because of his outer appearance, but the Lord is looking on his heart. Now, just from that, if you listen to what he said, he chose this man, then God knows that David is a man after his own heart. We know this from other places as well. Um, one of the places that it came up in whenever I was looking was in Acts. And I thought this was interesting since I just taught the book of Acts and got done. And in Acts 13, Paul is speaking. And in verse 22, he says, After disposing him, that's, he starts out, After that, he gave them judges until the prophet Samuel. At that time, they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After disposing him, he raised up David for their king, of whom he testified, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man agreeable to my heart, who will fill all my desires. So, Saul's there. Saul's just now told he's not going to be king much longer, and David is chosen. Now, I tried to figure this out. It seemed like David was chosen quite early in his kingship, but what goes on for the rest of the kingship is that there's a struggle. Saul likes David when he starts out, and we're going to look at that, David's willing service, but in this part, I want you to get that this is the man of God's choosing because he had a heart after God's own. There are other scripture verses that kind of cause you to think about this, like um, one that David would have known, that they would have studied and memorized, would have been uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, I'd probably quote it, but I always like to look to make sure I get it right so I don't get something wrong. And uh, 6... Uh, verse 4 through 6 he says hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength um, these words which with which I am now charging you shall be written on your hearts and you shall impress, impress them deeply upon your children you shall talk of them when you're sitting at the home while you walk on the road when you lie down and when you get up and it talks more and more about that. But the one thing is, he wants you to be one who loves the Lord your God with all of your being. Uh, your heart, he spells them out. But it's basically saying with everything you are, he wants you to love the Lord with all you are more than anything else in your life. This is the one you love. That's what he wants from us. That's what he wanted for a leader. He wanted someone who was so in love with who he was that he would follow the heart of God. And David was the one he chose to do that. Um, I, another passage here. In talking to the people who had done the wrong thing uh, Samuel says to them Samuel assured all the people be not in terror you have indeed committed all this evil but you do not turn away from the Lord any longer 
Worship the Lord with your whole heart. So that's a statement that God makes constantly through the the Old Testament that he wants you to be one who loves the Lord with all of your being, with your whole heart. Um, David was not everything that Saul was, but he was handsome. And that was an important feature, apparently, although that got him into trouble later. But we won't be discussing that today. I'll just mention that. So we go on, we go on to 14 through 23 of the same chapter, chapter 16. But the Lord's spirit departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrified him. Saul's servants then told Paul, you know that an evil spirit from God is frightening you. Tell your personal attendants to look for someone who is skillful in playing the harp. Then when the evil spirit from God takes hold of you, he will play the instrument and it shall be well with you. Saul said to attendants, Be on the lookout for a good musician and bring him to me. One of the attendants spoke up. I saw a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who plays excellently. He is a good fighter of sound judgment, well built, and the Lord is with him. Saul then sent messengers to Jesse with this request. Send me your son who is with the sheep. Jesse loaded a donkey with ten loaves of bread, a skin of wine, and a kid, and sent them to Saul by his son David. Then David came to Saul and became his valet. Saul appreciated him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Saul therefore sent word to Jesse, Let David stay in my service. He has won my favor. And when the evil spirit from God came on Saul, David would take his harp and play. It would ease Saul he felt better and the evil spirit would leave him. So secondly, David was a willing servant. He's one who had a heart after God's, but he was a willing servant. He not only took care of the sheep willingly, but here he Saul needed David to play this harp, to give him relief. Here's Saul, who's the king, who's, who's going to be taken away from his kingship and here's David who's going to be the new king David's playing the harp to calm Saul down to take the evil spirit away from him to give him peace so that he continue to be, can continue to be king and make good decisions and so David's a willing servant very open to whatever God leads him to do and, and goes to serve the king and this king likes him makes him his personal armor bearer. That's pretty high up. And, but the king likes him. At this point, he likes him. Now we know what happens later, and, and we're not going to get much into that story, but you know that as the evil spirit continues to plague him and he realizes that David's the one that's chosen, he starts trying to kill David off. And so, uh, but before then, he's even put in charge of men because he does such a good job fighting. Here I thought it was interesting added to the handsome sparkly eyed ruddy character. He is a good fighter of sound judgment. He's he's a strong man well built. Now he, he's, he's got everything you need for a leader who will go and serve by going out before everybody and he does. He serves Saul by going out and fighting battles. In fact, so much so, has so much success, what begins to happen? 
people, the ladies start singing when they come back and they sing of Saul's thousands that he's killed and David's ten thousands. That got to be a little rough on the king's, you know, pride to hear that David's killing off more in the, in the songs, you know. You'd think they would be, you know, somewhat diplomatic. Say, you know, Saul kills lots of people and so does David. But he didn't. He heard the truth from them and, and it was true that David was having great success. So then in chapter 17, we get on through some of that and we get to this place where they're stuck with the Philistines and they're, they're at the field ready for battle. And a large man, probably about almost 10 feet tall, comes out onto the field and challenges anybody to fight him. You remember this man, right? Goliath? Large man. Has armor on. Has a sword that most of, most of us would struggle to lift up. And this man comes on the field and challenges anyone that if anyone can beat him, then the Philistines will become his serv- or their servants. But if he beats them, then the Jews will become his servants. So you, you have this challenge going on. And in verse 26 of 17... David asked the men who were standing near him, what shall be done to the man who kills that Philistine and removes the shame from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? The people repeated what had been said earlier, which is, the king will richly give the one who slays him. He will give him his daughter and exempt his father's family in Israel. So, Uh, People repeated that to him. Thus they will treat the man who kills him. When Eliab, his oldest brother, heard from conversing with the men, his anger grew hot against David, and he said, Why really did you come here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? Now, it's already said earlier that he left them with a keeper. So David's taking care of his responsibility, but Eliab's a little angry with him for challenging the soldiers that are there. He says, I'm aware of your impudence and your ugly heart. You came to watch the fighting. David responded, what have I done wrong by asking a question? He then turned from him to another, put the same question, and people gave the same answer as before. David noted, David's words were noted and were repeated to Saul who sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose courage on his account. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul told David, You will not be able to tackle this Philistine for combat, for you are still young, and he is a warrior, and from his youth up. David, however, answered Saul, Your servant has been tending sheep for his father. When a lion came or a bear to seize the sheep from the flock, I got after him, struck him, and rescued the sheep from his jaws. In case he turned on me, I caught him by the chin whiskers, wounded him, and killed him. Your servant has slain the lion as well as the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will go their way, since he has defied the drawn-up army of the living God. 
Then David added, The Lord who rescued me from the paws of the lion and the bear, he will rescue me from this Philistine. In 45, David answered the Philistine, because the Philistine came out and asked him, Who are you to come at me with sticks? And he cursed him by his gods and said, If you come at me, I will feed your body to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. David answered the Philistine, You are meeting me with sword and spear and javelin, but I meet you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will slay you and cut off your head. Today I will feed the corpses of the Philistine army to the birds of heaven and to the beasts of the field, so that the whole earth may know there is a God in Israel. This whole gathering, too, shall know that the Lord does not save through sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. So David's faith was not in himself. It was in God. If if a man a head taller would have been there, he still would have been short. David's even shorter. And he's going to go out and meet Goliath, who's all battle-dressed. Now Saul tries to give David things to wear, but they don't fit him and he hasn't tried them. He hasn't proven himself in battle yet. So he goes out and he to this creek and he finds five stones. Now as I was reading up on this, I used to think, and had for right up until just this study, that it was probably, you know, just stones out of the creek, maybe about that big around. Because they always talk about it sinking in their forehead. I always thought it was a little stone. And they tell me that as I read, uh, read different people, that this wasn't a little stone. This is a stone about the size of a baseball. Smooth stone that he picked up and they would put him in a sling and he'd get that sling rolling and then he would let it go at the appropriate moment. And sometimes it would reach speeds of 100 miles an hour. So imagine a baseball coming at your forehead at 100 miles an hour. And what would it do to your forehead? Well, David hit him on the first try. He didn't even have to bring out another stone. He got him right in the forehead and killed him. He didn't have a... He at least knocked him out because apparently the next verse says that he kills him. He pulls his knife out and he slaughters him and he cuts off his head. And that's how he shows up to see Saul later is with that head in his hand. And and I I think about that and I think that's pretty gross. But uh, he beat the man that was going to beat Israel. And he didn't do it because he thought he had the stuff. He did it because he knew God would take care of him. God would beat him. He trusted in God. And the passage I had him read to you this morning in uh, Psalm 18 says, Fervently do I love thee, O Lord, my strength. That's his wholehearted sellout to the Lord. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my stronghold, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my high tower, of my salvation, my high tower. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so I am delivered from my enemies. And he, he talks about that over and over again. Um, God, perfect in his way, the word of the Lord is proven, a shield is he to all who trust him. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock? Besides our God, the Lord lives 
Blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who ex- executes retribution from me and subdues people under me, my deliverer from my enemies. Indeed, thou dost ex- exalt me higher than my assailants. Thou savest me from men of violence. Therefore I extol thee among the nations, O Lord, and will sing praises to thy name, who gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his posterity forever. God has given to David a great position, but David had set his heart upon God. And here, it's his trust, his faith and trust in God. He believed that God would care for him. He believed that the God he loved had his best interest at heart, even when he went before Goliath. The Lord was the center of his life. The Lord had defeated the lion bear. Uh, David's statement to Goliath, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. David's steadfast faith was what made him who he is. He believed that God could work. This is just the beginning of David's life, but it's the man he picked because he was a man after his own heart. Some other statements I appreciated by David. In Psalm 16, 11, it says, Thou dost make me know the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Psalm 27, David responds with his commitment to God. It's a verse I learned many years ago. And he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David was a man after God's own heart. He desired nothing more than to live for God. When we start looking for someone to fill the pulpit, we want to look for somebody who is a man after God's own heart. We want to look for somebody who's sold out to God, who gives his life. We've had a pastor like that for 70 years about, between the two of them, men who love the Lord. And gave their life for it. We wanted somebody else who comes. We, we talk a lot about what age. Or what all we want them to know. Do we want them to have children? You can ask Greg. We talk about these things in our deacons meetings. What are we looking for? So far we've got three possibilities. And they're all yeah, almost 60. But there are people who would like them to be younger with children. And some of us kind of think that would be better. But what if that isn't who God sends us? We have to be ready. We want someone to come whose heart is after God, but we have to be the ones who are chasing after God. We need to put our hearts in the same place David did, that we would have our hearts sold out to God. We would want our our being to reflect who God is. We would want to make sure that we made the choice that God would make. And for that, we need to pursue Him. And we need to pray. And we need to ask God to help us be a son, a worthy son and daughter of His. 
to keep us growing. That we might have our own lives sold out to God. As we do that, He's going to direct us to the right man. We fully expect God has the right man chosen. We have to find out who that man is. And we need your prayers. But I want you all chasing after God. God wants you to be men and women after his own heart. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your being. That he would be the most important person you love. And by that you will touch every other life that you come in contact with. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, you are an amazing God. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for the way you work in us. We're grateful that you work even when we aren't seeking you at that moment. That you never quit on us. One day we know you'll complete us because you tell us in your scripture that when you appear then we will be like you. You will complete the work in us. You will take away that old sin nature that bothers us. We will be completely free. Until then, we are free in Christ. We ask that you would help us to set our hearts upon your Son, Jesus Christ, to set our hearts upon you, that we might be like David, one sold out to you completely. And that you would cause us to pray and to seek you. And even as we look for a pastor, that we would look for the one that you would choose for the church and be ready for that one that you will bring. Thank you, Father, for this time as we study this. Excited about how you can work in a man's life as you did in David's. Pray that you'll keep working in our lives that we might be so excited as David was. That we might say to others, I can do this because of Jesus Christ in my life because of you are faithful to me because I can trust you to carry everything we can trust you in bringing the right man here Lord work in our lives today change us help us truly to be able to sing the songs we're going to sing from our heart knowing that we trust the Lord and we praise you in Christ's name Amen We're going to sing two choruses. We're going to go right from one to the other. Uh, They're on 733 and 734. I just keep trusting my Lord and I know who holds the future. Now, don't worry about the key. We're not changing keys. We're just going right through. Let's stand and sing together. I just keep trusting my Lord as I walk along. I just keep trusting my Lord and He gives a song. Though the storm clouds darken the sky or the heavenly trail, I just keep trusting my Lord, He will never fail. He's a faithful friend, such a faithful friend. I can count on him to the very end. Though 
the storm clouds darken the sky or the heavenly trail. I just keep trusting my Lord. He will never fail. I know who holds the future and I know who holds my hand. With God things don't just happen, everything by Him is planned. So as I face tomorrow, with its problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles, give to Him my all. Good singing and you're dismissed.